Now to the southern border where a humanitarian crisis is unfolding after the expiration of the pandemic era immigration policy known as Title 42. We're in the third year of this mass migration crisis, the biggest in American history by far, by every metric. Just as many people are coming as before Title 42 and in uh, historic and astronomical numbers. So most of the mass migration is continuing, but you can't see it and the media doesn't understand it. It'll be this for another four years, you're gonna look at it. You know, by the time that's over, it'll be you know, 20 million, 25, 30 million. This is episode 17, the Biden border crisis. Todd Benson, National Security Fellow at the Center of Immigration Studies and author of Overrun, How Joe Biden Unleashed the Greatest Border Crisis in American History. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much. I guess to start off at a very macro level and you know, really kind of get the train rolling for what we're going to be talking about today, can you basically just go over what is happening at the U.S. border right now? Well, um, there's been a big change in policy. The administration uh, had been using a Trump-era policy called Title 42, which was an instant expulsion. And everybody who crossed was subject to being <coughs> immediately removed to Mexico without the benefit of uh, being able to seek asylum. Uh, this is very important because the ability to seek asylum has been abused by millions and millions of people for years and years. Uh, and so it was a very unique kind of policy that the uh, executive was able to use that forestalled a lot of illegal immigration. The problem is that uh, the Biden administration, when it took office, cut massive exemptions in Title 42 for all kinds of nationalities and demographics, and they essentially gutted it anyway. Uh, they were using a little remnants, kind of rump policy remnants of it to push people, some people back, a few people back. Uh, but anyway, they finally just got rid of it. It's over. Uh, it was over on May 11th and they put in place a new policy that is just kind of the old policy before Title 42, which was massively abused for asylum. So everybody now has access to the asylum system again. Uh, the administration uh, has been claiming that the new, it's called expedited removal, that expedited removal will uh, be kind of Trumpian and everybody's going to get pushed back and nobody's going to want to try it and uh, they'll stay back in Mexico. But what's uh, happening instead is that they are starting to figure out the loopholes. And um, there was a pause on May 12th in this huge surge of migration, tens of thousands, I think they had 10,000 in one day, the most ever in the history of America. Uh, also, that was just the latest most ever in the history of America, but that's another part of the story. Um, and they expected that surge to continue after May 12 with expedited removal. Uh, the numbers have dropped. They haven't come through by the expected surge uh, for several reasons. But uh, one reason is that they came up with this other new policy that is allowing tens of thousands of people a day to come in escorted through the ports of entry. 
not between the ports of entry and the brush. So they're just bringing them in all along the border underneath the porticos of uh, the the, um, ports of entry. If you've ever been there, you know, the pedestrian bridge like this, and there's, you know, a covering, an awning over it. And so you can't see these tens of thousands of people being brought in on permits, humanitarian permits that they're just handing out without any sort of vetting at all. So most of the mass migration is continuing, but you can't see it and the media doesn't understand it. So they're not looking under those porticos. Uh, I understand it. So I'm looking under the porticos and videotaping of all the hundreds and thousands of people under there moving into the country. The other way that people are coming in is that they have discovered that when they apply for asylum, they cross illegally and, and apply for asylum. This is different than getting the humanitarian permits and being brought in under the porticos of the, of the buildings of the ports of entry. You can still cross in illegally. They've discovered apply for asylum and get another permit and get brought into the country. And so that is now happening on a large scale, unreported completely. I think I remain the only uh, writer in America that has reported on this, uh, that they have figured out a way to get right through the new Biden policy, which is exactly as uh, we predicted. Some of us predicted exactly how they would. And then the third way that they're coming through is as runners, the people that don't want to get caught crossing illegally. Some do. They turn themselves in and then they get in. But others will go through the humanitarian permit under the porticos into the uh, country. Uh, but the criminals know that they're not going to be let on under either one of those. So they're running. So there's this huge surge of runners who are just dodging and weaving at the border, trying to get in past the border patrol all over West Texas, New Mexico, Arizona, uh, really rural outlying areas. Um, these are going to be mostly your criminals uh, who know that they wouldn't qualify for entry under the other two ways. And so that number is uh, rapidly rising. So that's kind of a general. There are three ways that they're getting in. The mass migration continues. Uh, don't let anybody tell you otherwise. Just as many people are coming as before Title 42 uh, and in uh, historic and astronomical numbers. What's going on, guys? Just wanted to jump in here real quick and say that if you guys are enjoying the podcast thus far, you could do me and the podcast a massive favor and leave us a five-star review on any platform you're listening on. We just recently broke into the top 100 of the news commentary podcast charts and want to keep that momentum going. Each five-star review helps us expand the podcast to new listeners and allows us to continue bringing on more and more great guests. So if you guys enjoy the show, be sure to leave that review. And with that, let's get back to the action. Can we dive into those numbers a little bit? Like, do we have any idea what the true amount of migrants that are coming across? Because as you highlighted, this was all over the media about how there was that expectation that once Title 42 expired, there was going to be a mass migration. And then quickly, you know, you had different people within the Biden administration. You had different media conglomerates basically saying, pointing at those numbers and saying, look, this didn't happen. This was all an overreaction. 
whatever it might be. But as you're highlighting right here, I mean, there the migration numbers far exceed probably even what anybody is thinking in their head, but they're kind of being hidden. So do we have any idea what these no- actual numbers even look like? So the first category I told you about, those are the um, the humanitarian permit things that they're giving out in Mexico. Uh, on May 12th, they, I mean, that thing's been going for blowing and going for quite a while already since January. It really ramped up in January. Um, at that point, they had authorized 360,000 a year to be brought in that way under the, through the ports of entry. But those were mostly just four nationalities, Cubans, Haitians, Venezuelans, and Nicaraguans. The fact of the matter and what they never told you is that 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 program was open to every nationality in the world. They just didn't say it. So uh, we, beyond the 360,000 annually, we don't know what the rest of the nationalities make up because they are hiding those numbers. They will not release those numbers. Congress has asked for those numbers. I've been in a FOIA for those numbers. I am suing for those numbers right now as we speak. Uh, hopefully the lawsuit will, will prevail and we will get those numbers. On May 12th, the Biden administration announced that it was going to absolutely open the spigot wide on that illegal program. Uh, bringing all those people in on these bogus humanitarian permits. And they did. So I'm getting reports from all along the border, sources that are telling me that the lines of people with those humanitarian permits, those bogus illegal humanitarian permits, are hundreds and hundreds of yards long. They're bringing them through that way. Those people conveniently will not be counted as illegal crossers. So when they take their victory lap next month and say, God, the number of illegal crossers dive bombed, they're not going to tell you that the number of those crossers went through the stratosphere. So they're going to give you the half of the story and leave the other half uh, out. But the bottom line is that they're not telling us what the other half is. Uh, we're, We're going to have to force it out of them. Uh, shame them into it or or litigate it out of them because it is a terrible number. Whatever that number is going to be is going to be uh, in the very high hundreds of thousands and maybe even into the millions uh, once we discover how wide they opened the spigot on that thing on May 12th. We just know that so many are coming. Um, as for runners, uh, we do have a little bit of an idea on runners uh, we, we have, they, they don't provide those numbers, but they get leaked all the time. Uh, and we know that about since, uh, January of 2021, about 1.7 million people snuck into the country undetected over the border. Uh, massive world record, uh, on that. Uh, never seen anything like that before. Uh, we're looking at probably, um, Anywhere from uh, thirty to uh, seventy thousand a month of those. I think it's going to be on the upper end of the scale this month and next month and future months, because a lot of people don't qualify for that under the sneak them in over the ports of entry program because they'll have criminal records. A lot of those people also probably don't want to wait in line 
for those humanitarian pools, the wait is going to be long. And so for the people that don't want to wait, they're just going to cross in and, and go illegally one way or another. They'll either run or turn themselves in. So um, those numbers right now are um, we're probably going to be in the somewhere in the 250,000 range next month, maybe more. Uh, it all just depends on uh, how they're counting and whether we can get our numbers. But it's going to be in the hundreds of thousands for sure. As it's been. Why do you think they're so deadlocked on hiding these numbers? I mean, is it is it only the perspective of just simply trying to minimize the American people's knowledge on the problem? Or is it a combination of this weird political pressure we see to almost not ignore the border, but pretend like the problem isn't actually there? Uh, it's political, uh, you know, like everything. I think it's purely political. Uh, I don't know if you remember a few years ago, um, a couple of years ago, early in this, we're in the third year of this mass migration crisis, the biggest in American history by far, by every metric, by every number that you can ever imagine. Every single number is just smashed to smithereens by multitudes uh, on this one. And um, the administration seems content to um, have that happen. They, I think they want that to happen. Uh, they want all those people to cross in and be here. Um, but, but they don't want it to be seen because uh, it's, it's jarring. It's politically jarring. If you remember um, in September of 2021, the mass migration camp under the Del Rio Bridge all those Haitians, 15,000 Haitians. It's, uh, where's my book? Uh, it's actually the cover of my book. Not to um, try to like promote it, but look at that. That right there was their worst political nightmare. Um, every time something like that happens, where there's a conglomeration of mass numbers of people on the riverbank and we can't, we can't reduce it, it just keeps getting bigger and bigger is a political nightmare for the Democrats, for the party. And they uh, have uh, orchestrated uh, all policies. Every single decision is orchestrated around eliminating the possibility for something like this to ever show up again on the, on the river. So the, 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 uh, this kind of thing happened in El Paso again in uh, November and December, and then it happened again um, just uh, a month ago in April. Just thousands of you know immigrants wandering free all around the city of El Paso, unprocessed. They had to release them because they filled up all the facilities, and then the same thing in Brownsville, Texas, this month in uh, across from uh, Matamoros. Uh, this is just a nightmare. This is the thing that they um, have arranged all energy and effort around eliminating uh, from the news cameras and, and everything. It's just a terrible political optic. 2024 is coming up. The Republicans are making a lot of hay out of this kind of thing. A lot of Democrats are uncomfortable with it. Don't like mass migration. Don't like you know tens of thousands and hundreds of thousands of people wandering around cities. It's a bad look. Why do you think that they want 
this amount of people crossing though. I mean, I've heard, you know, this is, this is part of the conversation topic, but again, it's, it's almost like a hush hush thing where if you try to point it out, people want to look at you and say, you're being a conspiracy theorist or whatever it might be, but it's, it's a realistic truth. And as you're highlighting, it's, it's not like this isn't an unknown disaster that's happening. It's known. And in fact, it's in the opposite direction. We're trying to cover it up. So why do you think they want to let this mass migration happen? Well, I think it's it's a, a a constellation of factors. Uh for one thing, uh a very extreme fringe of the Democratic Party coalition rose to power in 2021 with the White House, with the Biden administration kind of pushed them uh pushed Biden out from the big field of 15 candidates during the primary and then um got him over the hump against Donald Trump. And so they were owed and they have an ideology that uh, is kind of borderline uh, freak. Nobody in the democratic party and mainstream uh, party politics and on that side had ever countenanced anything like these ideas. Uh, these are like, uh, you know, no borders, no detention, our laws are inhumane. Ignore all the laws like you ignore the marijuana laws, um, the federal marijuana laws. Um, we're going we're gonna to invent a new uh, world of no borders, no detention. Everybody gets in. And that's there because, because, um, because we owe um, the poor colonized nations of the world, we owe them. And because um, we're all uh, systemically racist and it's it's um, wrong to uh, kind of um, harbor all the wealth and resources and keep it all to ourselves. We owe the uh, black peoples and brown peoples that we've abused for hundreds of years a share of our wealth. And so it's an ideology. They say it, they write it. Uh, I've studied their, their uh, philosophies and write it elaborately about that, about those philosophies in chapter four of my book, Overrun. Um, so that's one thing. It's a gratification of finally being let out of the closet and getting to spread their wings with this ideology. It feels great to them to finally get to do this. Um, the other thing is that uh, those people come from a uh, what I call a, a migrant and refugee advocacy industrial complex, which is to say that uh, these are NGOs and uh, you know, private nonprofit organizations that directly benefit from the many hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars and even billions of dollars in federal contracts that are being let to manage for them to help manage the crisis that they stoked and ordered up. So it'd be like if you put the generals in charge of the war, uh, you're never going to see peace. You're just going to see more and more war, or not the generals, but the um, industrial complex, the guys that make tanks and bombs. If you put them in charge of making of the, of uh, diplomacy and war policy, you're never going to uh, see peace until they're brought in. And it's just like that. Uh, hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars going to these organizations whose representatives are in the White House doing these policies. So 
it's just the old fashioned story. It's the old age old story of, you know, self-interest and what I call the self licking ice cream cone. Uh, you know, you put that out there and feed yourself until somebody stops you. Have the migrants recognized how much it's loosened? I mean, obviously there was that buildup that was looking for the end of title 42, but this, you know, for years now we've, this crisis has just been snowballing and building. Have they recognized that there was that change in policy and that there was even a flip in direction with a lot of Americans that are looking towards even that, you know, progressive ideology? Absolutely. I just finished writing a, a it's not published yet. I'm, I'm writing it for uh, Newsweek about just something like this where, you know, the immigrants are, they're smart people. I've spent the last two and a half years among them interviewing thousands of them. I just came back from Matamoros, from Juarez, uh, from all, I've been all along the border and, and, and then beyond it, interviewing immigrants. And I always ask them, and I, I always ask them, you know, you know, to describe for me your decision-making calculus, like how come, you know, you were living for seven years, your, your Venezuelan has been living for seven years in Ecuador happily making a good living, but all of a sudden you decided to come to the border now. And they're very aware of our policies. Uh, they pay closer attention to our border policies than any average American. They pay uh, as close attention to our immigration policies as somebody like me who's paid to do it eight hours a day uh, because everything relies on, on it. Their knowledge is everything. About this, you're you're making a big move, you're a big lifetime move. You're going to borrow ten thousand dollars for smuggling fees, a fortune, um, and you're going to lay it down uh, for cartels. And you want to know that you are going to get in a, you're going to get across that border, and b that you're going to stay. They're going to let you in, and that's 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 the the gamble, that's the calculus, and. You know, nobody's going to lay down $10,000 to bring your family in unless you are pretty well guaranteed you're going to get in or you've got a really high probability of getting in and staying in. I write about this elaborately in the book, uh, Overrun, uh, because I've interviewed so many who are describing. I'm like, well, you know, you were living here all during the Trump administration, but now all of a sudden you're coming. Why is that? Well, because the, under Trump, the policies were hard. We couldn't have gotten in. I wasn't going to spend my $7,000 in savings on that to try to get in under Trump. I'd get kicked back and then I'd be broke. I'd lose all my money. They're rational. But then the Biden administration opened these big loopholes in Title 42. And if you came in with a family, you'd get in. Guaranteed get in. 100% get in. Uh, if you came, if you were pregnant seven months, hundred percent guaranteed, you're going to get in. If I send my kid in alone without me unaccompanied, hundred percent, you're going to get in. That's worth laying your money down. They pay very close attention to the policies. They are not, um, they are not swayed by either cartel disinformation, which is what the administration constantly says. The reason they're coming is because they're dupes, they're stupid dupes of misinformation from the cartels. Uh, 
And they're not going to not come in because the Biden administration says the border's closed. The only thing that those people pay attention to is whether or not the people ahead of them got in. And then they send their selfies back and said, I am in. I'm in New Jersey. I'm in this grand hotel in New York. Here's the selfie of me, you know, in the, in the hotel room. That is the information that they pay attention to and the policies that were announced just before it that got them in. Uh, so they're rational people. They're smart people. They're smarter than I got. I hate to say this in terms of discerning disinformation from either government officials or the cartels smarter than the average American for sure. What is the cartel's role in all this? Cause you know, I, I know we highlighted um, seeing this in the book, but also just, you know, general the UN highlighting how dangerous the border has really become. There's, like I said, I had Yon Grillo on a few weeks ago and he highlighted in his book many times how there is a lot of, violence happening at the U.S. border. So how bad has it become and how much of the cartel is really, you know, a key player in this? Right. So, you know, the cartels make most of their money trafficking and dope over the over the river and guns and other whatever, whatever makes them money. Um, and when they saw this thing happening, uh, you know, this, this huge wave of humanity coming, you know, they or, you know, this wind, I guess, they put their sail up into it, of course. And in the areas that they controlled, they required those migrants to pay a crossing fee, uh, big ones, to, you know, 2500 bucks for an average Central American, for a family, ten grand to get to cross. Huge money, really, uh, in the areas that they control. Um, others uh, are, are, you know, racking up a lot of profit by moving runners in. Remember I told you about the runners. And so, um, you know, we don't really know how much money they're making. Nobody really knows how much money they're making, but, uh, you know, I can tell you that, um, ice intelligence officials have testified about this in Congress and I've read the testimony and, you know, they were saying that prior to this mass migration, they might've been making a half a billion a year. It's kind of like a side hustle to the drug trafficking. Uh, and now I'm seeing them testify that in the fir that first year of 2021, which was a, a record-breaking year, but it was still just the first year that they might have made as high as $13 billion that, that one year. Um, the numbers were even greater in 2022. So, I mean, it could be $20 billion, uh, You know, nobody really knows, but it's definitely way deep into the B land. Um, in, in, and so, uh, you know, what do they do with that money? Why do we care is that they, they buy weapons. They, they pay off government officials. They weaken the Mexican state. Um, they fight each other. Uh, there's, you know, terrible combat going on in Mexico right now. They're using armored vehicles against each other, shoulder fired rockets, um, fully automatic 50 caliber machine guns, fully automatic 30 cals. Uh, they have all the weapons of modern warfare. Uh, they're fighting each other. They, they bought that with 
the proceeds of this mass migration crisis. That's a problem because the way that we keep the cartels in check isn't directly. We don't, we don't bomb the cartels. We have the Mexican government go in and do things to the cartels that would hurt business. That's how we keep them under control. But when those cartels get really militarily powerful like they are now, and we need something done, or we need to put a red line against something, uh, we can't very well tell the Mexican military to go in there and, and pound them because they're stronger than the Mexican military now. So that's a, that's a, um, a U.S. national security interest that is highly degraded uh, because of this mass migration crisis. We can't really tell them what to do and what not to do like we could before. Do you think this has also opened the floodgates for the drug trade coming into the U.S. and even the illegal gun trade? Um, we've seen fentanyl skyrocket, whether you're talking about actual physical fentanyl being within the United States or you know, the overdoses that we've seen killing over 100,000 people, and that number is just continuing to increase. And that conversation is seldom had as well. Do you think that this is aiding in being able to traffic those drugs and other entities over? I don't think that there's a, a lot of, you know, really hard evidence that it is. On the other hand, I have to think that it probably has something to do with it. Uh, and what I mean by that is, you know, well, for one thing, you know, that is a, a sharply um, upswinging drug, fentanyl, high profits, low weight, easy to make, um, cheap. So, I mean, it's a highly profitable drug, but, you know, I, I wonder if we wouldn't still have, it's real, it's cause it's so compact. It's really easy to smuggle over the border in trucks or, you know, even in on a drone, you could just fly that thing in and drop it. So there's this whole kind of connection, I guess, that people want to make between the mass migration and fentanyl and then the deaths of Americans. Um, I, I mean, I have to guess that because there are less border patrol agents on the line now, because a lot of them are processing, that it's easier to cross it over. But, you know, you can, a lot of fentanyl gets mailed in the U.S. mails from overseas. You know, tons of it gets, gets in that way. A lot of it gets stolen from hospitals where it's legal. There are a lot of ways to get that fentanyl in. Um, and I sometimes wonder if, if, um, you know, we had Donald Trump back in and the numbers were 30,000 a month instead of 230,000, and we'd still have a fentanyl problem. Jump into, we, we spoke a little bit why the politicians seem to want to hide this and why, you know, with, with, within the Democratic Party specifically, there's these ideologies that push in one direction. There's the profit motivation. And then, you know, there's also kind of having to work within your party to be able to maintain the current position you're in. Why do we think the media is working so hard to hide this? I mean, you highlighted you're one of the few journalists that's even covering these directly and especially highlighting numbers specifically. But it feels like the media maybe talks about some of the more mainstream talking points, but doesn't actually dive into directly what's happening with these issues. Well, I can, 
I can tell you of, of my experience. I, you know, I was a reporter for 23 years. I worked professionally as a newspaper reporter for big newspapers. And um, also I did a stint for CBS uh, News. And um, so, I mean, um, I, I've got a master's degree in journalism and, you know, I'm a journalist. I've written a couple books and all, all of that. And I can tell you that that throughout my 23 years, everybody around me was a progressive liberal or just a regular liberal. My editors, my uh, colleagues, I mean, I didn't hold it against them. It just simply, that was the fact. Um, and I think for some of those years, I was a liberal too. Um, and so I think that um, there is an understanding that this particular mass migration crisis is is politically devastating to the uh, prospects of Joe Biden uh, for 2024, uh, that there was a lot of concern leading up to the midterms. It turned out to be misplaced, that that what what was shown on TV would hurt the Democratic Party. It, it didn't hurt them that much. Uh, but there was concern about that. And I think the the mainstream regular media is running cover for Joe Biden and the Democrats over this. Um, I believe it to be true. Uh, there's no part of me that doesn't believe that's not true. And it's the only explanation for um, passing on like the most dramatic possible story of our lifetimes. I mean, it is. This story, when you go down there, I mean, just the human drama of this, the, the numbers, the, the, the records that have been broken, the impacts on the interior of the country on all these different sectors and quality of life issues, um, it, it's just about the biggest story of our lifetimes. It's like if you were a war correspondent and World War II came along and you just sat it out. Decided not to not to cover it, not to go be in with the troops. You know, it's just like that. If you're an immigration reporter right now, there is no story that has ever happened or will ever happen in your lifetime that is bigger than this. Uh, but they're not there, and so I can only conclude that it's because they are Democrats that don't want to damage the party uh, uh, political prospects. That's all I have to say about that. One last thing I will say about it is, uh, you know, I, I was a journalist for a long time. I I still uh, act journalistically. I go down to the border a lot. I've written books about the border. I've written the only book about this particular border crisis. I thought I'd have two or three competitors, but to this day, I'm the only one who has actually written a book about it. And it's a big, thick book, and the thing's only halfway finished this mass migration crisis. And I got to say, I love it because I'm all alone out there and I got the scoop. It's just that old thing of like, I'm all alone on this incredible adventurous story. And I know that's really good for me. And I, I I'm going to say that I, I, I love it and I enjoy the dereliction of duty. Um, but I do think it's bad for America. That, that they are abdicating journalistic duty, but man, I love it. <laughs> Let me have this thing all to myself. No, I'm absolutely with, I mean, that's why I was so excited to have you on today. You're the only one really speaking about this. And, you know, I ask a lot of the guests that go to 
unique areas around the world or see some of these crises that are happening around the world. And I think you're doing a fantastic job of doing this with your book and showcasing, you know, the pictures and the real videos on the ground and real reporting on the ground. Do you think that the lack of visual experience of what's happening at the border is also kind of playing into what's hurting Americans necessarily learning more about this, caring about this? Yeah, because I mean, here's the thing is that this thing is the most, it's, a, it's such a visual story. You can't grasp, you just can't grasp this unless there's a picture. Look at that. This is just like the, you have, it's a very visual story. You have to have the video and the photographs, the photography, and to really have an impact to show the American people what's really happening, how vast this thing is, how massive and historic this thing is. Um, unless you can see it, I mean, writing and describing it just or just throwing numbers out there doesn't tell. It just doesn't. It doesn't show it. It doesn't show it. The numbers don't show it. Sometimes I try to say, wow, just imagine, you know, the Super Bowl. We just have the Super Bowl. Imagine. You know, 70,000 people came in that week. That's a Super Bowl stadium of people just waltzed in over the border this week. And it's just still, you know, you, you could try to conjure that up, but it just doesn't do it like photos and video. And um, I think that's why you really only have Fox News had a drone team out there and nobody else really does it. And, you know, those humanitarian permits that I that I'm telling you about, you can't even, even if you, Fox News were to try to fly a drone over that, you can't see that. It's un, it's inside buildings. But man, there are thousands and thousands of people just pouring into the country on these things. And you can't see it. And unless you go there. And, you know, I, I did. I, I was in uh, Brownsville, you know, crossing in from Matamoros uh, about a week ago. And, you know, there they all were. It was about a hundred yard line of people that all have those just for that one time that I happened to walk over. And I videotaped them as I was walking, going, oh, you're CBP1. Where are you from? Where are you from? Where are you from? I was walking and walking and walking. Haitians and regular Mexicans and Hondurans and people from all over the world. So, and really there are people from all over the world uh, coming in through there. You can't see it. It's too bad. I think that might be my next story is to just go tour those ports of entry and just show it. That's what I would love to have a documentary, some type of visualization. Cause I always say this, I think in, until people see something with their own eyes, a lot of times you have a lot of Americans right now that are utilizing this ability since they don't see it. The problem's not actually there, which is, you know, it's like immature in its own way, but it's a real thing people do. And I guess, the next question would be, and it's it's a horrible thought, but it's a realistic possibility in this scenario. Uh, I talked about this with you know the cartels and it, when those two when those three Americans were killed, um, how quickly people started looking at that situation. There were even calls for you know maybe a military intervention, but that quickly died down. What do you think needs to happen other than? journalistic reporting, but what, what do you think needs to happen to actually kind of wake America up to this problem, to actually have people look at this and say, this is what's actually happening. This no longer is a game. This no longer is a political ping pong match. Like this is 
genuinely a crisis, whether you're a Democrat, Republican, what doesn't really matter? Well, it's hard to say. I mean, some people would say, you know, a terror attack would do it. Uh, you know, there are lots of people from the Middle East crossing in. We've had record numbers of people on the FBI terrorism watch list get apprehended, uh, probably about uh, 200 or so by now. Um, we're actually on the watch list, got caught. Um, the, But I think the thing ultimately that might one day turn it is kind of like kind of slow boiling the frog. Um, and I think we're like well on the way to doing that, which is to say that we only have like about, I mean, I say only, but about um, maybe 5 million plus people have entered the country in the last 24 months. And the, um, the um, way things are going, we should probably have another 5 million by the end of the next 24 months. So there might be 10 million uninsured uh, un like kind of lower educated, uh, lesser skilled, uh, dependent people who are inside the United States. And those, those people will start to, I mean, we're already starting to see city after city after city struggle with this in a pretty public way. Uh, where do we put all these people? Uh, let's put them in the school auditoriums. No, I mean, how dare you put those in, you know, these strangers in with my kids? Uh, let's put them in college dorms. You know, how dare you use my college dorms for that kind of a thing? Um, you know, what, what are we going to do with, you know, the, the unfunded burdens of, you know, you know, where, where do you put the, you know, in New York, they kicked out a bunch of homeless veterans out of a shelter, American veterans out of a shelter to make room for illegal immigrants across the border. And, it's a big outrage over that. And, you know, city after city after city, there's more and more of this uh, school bond elections that are tax hiking people into oblivion in school districts across America to bring children in. And after a while, you have to wonder if, you know, the, the, the impacts on people's pocketbooks city government pocket, but at the city government level, will might just turn this thing to, you know, no, we're not doing this anymore. Whatever you're doing at the border, stop it. And we'll vote against you in a national election if that's what it'll take to stop you doing this to my school district or to my veterans or to my whatever, my budgets. My program got cut to make you know, all the money diverted over for something with immigrants. I think it's kind of a slow boil kind of a thing. And I think more and more Americans are waking up to this at the city level, at the municipal voter state precinct level of local politics. We'll see. No, I definitely agree with that. I think the slow boil is a really, as you see the spending kind of continue, it's, it's similar to what we see with like the homeless crisis and everything like that, where eventually you got to look at how we're allocating the, the funds and if we're doing it correctly and everything like that. But you spoke about how it could change perspective in the national election. 2024 is obviously just around the corner and most likely it's going to be Trump versus Biden again. So let's look at 2024 itself, but let's say Biden wins another four years. Do we think this problem only gets worse or do we think that there will yes. be some calls to change. 
Now, if if there's no if if there's no um, cut in power, when I mean to the bone, then this will continue for another four years. Uh, whoever's in power there, whether he makes it the whole four years, if it's Kamala, it'll be this for another four years. You're going to look at it. You know, by the time that's over, it'll be you know twenty million, twenty five, thirty million. You know, people are going to be bringing their families in. I mean, it's it just is an exponential kind of growth. Uh, nobody leaves. Nobody ever leaves. It'll just be a new norm of everybody who reaches the border gets in. And so the whole world will just come. And they are. 40% of all peoples reaching our southern border are from 160 countries other than Mexico or Central America. On my last trip, I met my first Dagestanis. I had to look it up. Where's Dagestan? Um, I met my first Kyrgyzstanis. My whole hotel in Matamoros was every single room except mine, I think, was was occupied by a Kyrgyzstani. Uh, Kyrgyzstani families. Um, I've met Chechens. I've met Lebanese. I met a Syrian on this trip, this last trip. Um, I've met Pakistanis. I've met, I mean, you name it. Every country of the continent of Africa, I've met Mauritanians, Somalis, um, people from Burkina Faso. I had to look that one up. Uh, every country on the, on the continent of Africa is represented here. We talk about this as a national security issue as well, with, you know, focusing on either what we're going to talk about in spending and how much we're actually going to have to work with, you know, criminals maybe coming over. There's that whole cartel issue and being able to traffic drugs. Do we also see a national security threat with other countries? Like, let's look at China, for example. They've obviously had ties to the fentanyl crisis. Are we looking at some ties here where they're they're taking this opportunity because they understand it's going to have such a negative effect on the U.S.? Well, yes. I mean, listen, when people cross that border, uh, most of the time we have no real idea, verified idea of who they are. We don't know if we've got I mean, they cross the border with no ID. Oh, I lost my ID. And then my name's Mickey Mouse. And we just let him in and write down Mickey Mouse. Um, so, I mean, we might fingerprint them, but we're fingerprinting them under somebody named Mickey Mouse. Um, so we don't have a way to really, you know, you can't call the Chinese and ask them for an intel share. Hey, are you sending me your uh, finest espionage agents? Or will you run a criminal background check on all these Chinese coming through? Um, it's not going to happen. They're um, an unfriendly country. Lots of Russians coming through. I met my first Belarusian uh, in Matamoros. And, you know, the Belarusian government is uh, adversarial to us, and so is, the, so is the Russian government. We're funding a war that has really messed them up. They're not giving us an intel share on their criminals. They're glad their criminals are coming here, uh, if anything. The Maduro government in Venezuela is not going to do an intel share with us. We can't run criminal background checks on any of these people. Somalis, man, they didn't even have a government for 40 years. Most of them were born without even birth certificates or driver's licenses. There wasn't a government to do marriages, and there was certainly no government to arrest crooks and keep records on them. 
So, um, you know, we have people who are on the terror watch list coming from some of these countries. A whole bunch of them might not have made the watch list, maybe should have made the watch list. And we are just giving them carte blanche entry on asylum claims, on humanitarian protection claims, whatever they say we're good with, they're in. Um, almost nobody gets, um, comparatively gets really deported. They eliminated interior de- uh, deportation in this country. Uh, it was part of the liberal agenda, that progressive left agenda that I talked about earlier. That deportation is evil. Uh, it's immoral. So they ended it. There is no deportation even of criminal aliens. The worst kind of criminal aliens when we know about them. Child molesters, murderers, rapists, you name it, they all get to stay. We will not deport them. So if you're having people come in from every nation of Africa, Africa is a war-torn place, man. There are countries that where just horrendous atrocities and war crimes are going on, genocide. Um, and we don't know whether the people that are crossing the border are the murderers or the, or the, or escaping murder. Uh, so I'm pretty sure that we will be importing lots of warlords and people escaping, uh, justice, international justice for their war crimes. Well, it'll take us 10 years, 20 years to finally figure out that such and such, you know, came in the guy who, you know, slaughtered the village and made everybody eat everybody's children and that kind of thing got in over the border. I think that's a national security issue. It's a national interest problem. I think the terrorism threat is a problem. And I think the criminality, not knowing who they are, is a big problem. So there's a a lot of problems with having a border that is uncontrolled. We're going to have spies. Uh, If China is not sending spies in with all these Chinese, they're stupid. And we all know they're not stupid. They're sending spies in. I hope we catch them. I want to take a second to introduce you guys to our Patreon page. We just recently launched a Patreon, which will be used to fund the show and allow us to continue bringing on new production members, as well as more guests, which means more frequent episodes. However, we would never ask you guys for support without providing something back. So for just $1 a month, you'll get access to a subscriber-only Q&A session with the guests that we brought on that week. Not only this, but those questions will come directly from you. This is an awesome opportunity for you guys to ask some of the questions that we may not cover in the time span of an episode. With some great guests coming on in the next few weeks that focus on the U.S.-Mexico border, artificial intelligence, and the coming chip war with China and the United States, there's going to be a lot of opportunity for questions. So if any of those topics interest you, or you just like to be a part of our growing community and have access to these Q&A sessions, make sure to check out our Patreon in the description of whatever platform you're watching or listening to this on. Now let's get back to the episode. Do you think Democrats have almost dug themselves into a hole too deep to get out of? Because, you know, we highlight the progressive ideology. It's not like they can switch around now and try to implement some policies. I mean, we look at, at, there was that kids in cages thing where it was basically the same thing, just under a different administration, but people didn't want to acknowledge it because it was, you know, under Trump versus under Biden. So they almost put themselves in a position where they they can't even come back. The floodgates are open. Well, they don't seem inclined. Um, I think that they would have. I mean, listen, 
regular mainstream Democratic Party people, you know, think Obama, think Bill Clinton, uh, even Hillary to a certain extent, uh, would never have countenanced any kind of policies like this ever. They were pretty tough. Uh, Obama used to be called the deporter in chief. He was asked pretty regularly, why do you keep deporting people? Why don't you stop the deportations? And, and he would say publicly, because it's the law. Congress passed these laws and I have to follow them. And I think his direct quote was, I am not a king. Um, so, you know, the mainstream Democratic Party just got, you know, out of, bent out of whack in some fundamental way. And the midterm elections did not punish them for that. And so they see these policies as, um, at the very least, not harmful to retaining power. And at the most, maybe it helped them keep power. Maybe a lot of people like this. So um, I don't see them coming to their senses, really, um, unless they're completely and catastrophically defeated in the 2024 elections. And it's clear that that's what did it or that that helped do that helped um, cut them. So let's get back to 2024 and we'll throw the reverse. So instead of having Biden win, it's Trump, DeSantis, whoever it might be on the Republican ticket. What can they do right now? And in that four years to be able to minimize this problem, you know, whatever it's policy adjustment, whatever it has to be. Well, they could end this in about 48 hours. This is like not a big problem. Uh, this is a really simple thing. You just simply um, fix the uh, asylum system and you uh, make it so that if you have passed through another country that is considered safe, you can't apply for asylum here uh, with no rebuttals. You just simply can't. You get returned immediately back to Mexico. If Mexico uh, refuses to take uh, to take immigrants back, then you do what Trump did, which was we'll ruin your economy. We're going to um, put progressive trade tariffs in until you comply, or you're you're uh, ruined as a nation. And then you know they did pretty much did everything Trump wanted to do. You have to bend their arm, it's uh, twist their arm. It's not in Mexico's interest to have all of these immigrants on their territory causing domestic problems and, you know, being dependents. So that's really what it is. In my opinion, there's a few tweaks. It has to do with the asylum system and making sure that people do not get in. When they do get in, that they are detained the entire time that they're in. Um, detention, deportation, uh, we'll end this pretty much overnight, over, over and done. Well, I do hope we end up making some adjustments because as you highlighted, if we continue on this trajectory, it's going to be detrimental economically, socially, you know, physically. There, there's a lot of, lot of negatives. So. Well, no, no country does this for a reason, uh, you know, because – you know, it's it's regarded having huge, massive onslaughts of foreigners who are dependents and are uninsured and are not contributing like nobody. And there are strangers of every possible variety. There's, there's a reason why nobody has ever done this. 
not just no current country other than us does this, but laterally all the way through to ancient times, <laughs> you know, nobody does this. They have walls and borders for a reason. Well, Todd, I want to thank you for coming on today. Seriously, like I said, pushing this message is so important. I'm glad that you're actually out there, you know, helping people realize what's happening. Definitely have to stay in touch because as soon as you get that visual and one visualization one going as well, let me know. We'll get you right back on the podcast. We'll talk it over. I want to spread this message as much as I can. With that, if you want to let people know both where they could find the book, some of your articles, social media, whatever it might be. Right. So the book is overrun. You can you can find it anywhere books are sold, uh, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, wherever, your bookstore, it's in your bookstore. Um, and, you know, you can follow me at uh, toddbensman.com. All my stuff I'll eventually put up there. I publish all over the place, but I will eventually put everything at my website in a central place so that people can see it. I work for the Center for Immigration Studies, CIS.org. I have a lot there, too. And um, those are the guys that are paying all my hotel bills when I go down there and my um, taco bells. Bills, taco bills. Yeah. So, uh, you know, if you ever feel like uh, giving to the Center for Immigration Studies to support me and then going down, me going down the border, that would be great. Yeah, I'll make sure that link gets in the bio. Definitely go support that. I mean, as you guys heard from this whole conversation, the more eyes that we can get on this problem, the better. So, Todd, once again, thank you so much for coming on. Keep up the great work. And, you know, I'll definitely be su supporting in any way I can. Okay, thank you for your attention. See you, everyone.